I'm back. And I know you guys miss me because I usually do two episodes a week. Now I cut it down to just one episode a week because I'm just getting busy. I'm having to do a lot of closing at Domino's and it's just been getting to me. But things are still moving in the right direction for me. Don't worry about that. I still want to put out one podcast a week and I think it's good to grab your attention when I do one podcast a week because obviously a lot of you guys are chiming in now and asking questions and giving me feedback. So I am happy to say I'm excited to answer these questions. This might be a fan takeover episode because I do fan questions every now and then and usually I get about, you know, two, three, or four questions. Well, this time I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine questions and I think like two or three more on Twitter. So I got double digit questions to go through on this podcast. So it might take me some time. And some of you are a little more uh, some of you are a little more uh, bodacious with your question asking here. Some of you guys are a little more uh, willing to, let's say, ask crazy questions and questions really in depth. Um, some questions I don't even know the answer to. So I have to say, I limit it, I limit it to one question per person. Now you can ask another question again at the end of the podcast. All right, after this podcast is over, you can ask another question. Um, per podcast, each person can ask one question. So, I'm not saying you guys can never ask more than one question. Once you ask questions, you're done asking me questions forever. But I do want to limit it to one question per person. But these questions were all good. And so, uh, I'm just going to start rattling off these questions. And if I have time to talk about what I want to talk about, I will. But I, I love the feedback. I love the people listening. And I love uh, interacting with the people. So, this is going to be my type of show um, it's going to be whatever questions you guys ask. If you want to know the answer to it, um, if you ask multiple questions, I get to pick and choose the easiest one, just letting you guys know. So stick to one question, ask it, and I'll do my best. No matter what it is, I'll try to answer it. The first question from Coach Ty Taylor. He used to be a defensive line coach for uh, Kerrville Tyvee, the place I went to high school. Now uh, he's coaching somewhere else now, but... Uh, you know, coaches, they move around a lot. I appreciate him chiming in. I know he has a podcast of his own, too. He said, are the Strohs going to add another arm to strengthen their rotation? And he asked who. And he, he, he said uh, Madison Bumgarner was one of his uh, kind of names he threw out there. I honestly haven't heard anything about Madison Bumgarner being in the discussion for the Strohs to get him. I know early, early on, Madison Bumgarner was in every single trade conversation with every single team that needed a, a, a starting pitcher. But uh, so far, I haven't really heard a lot of him with the, with the Astros. Now, who I have heard is Ken Rosenthal. Uh, he, Ken Rosenthal said this, not, not, not that he's going to come over, but Ken Rosenthal said this, uh, you know, in a report not that long ago. He was saying that uh, Noah Syndergaard could really be a target for the Astros. Now, uh, I still think he has other teams on his mind. Do the Astros Are the Astros willing to trade all their pieces? I don't know. Uh, they have so many young arms in their farm club they just bring up. Uh, some good, some bad. Uh, Jose Urquidy, he had a really good game against uh, the Rangers recently. 
uh, uh, Valdez. We don't. I don't want any part of Valdez. I don't want him coming back up uh, anymore. But Yurquidy, uh, the Yurquidy guy, he had a really good game against the Rangers. The Astros swept the Rangers recently. The Astros have been on a little winning streak here, and their pitchers, their uh, their kind of lower level pitchers, have stepped up during this winning streak. But that being said. They still need an arm for the playoffs. If they want to win a World Series, which is the goal in Houston, I mean, the team is better, in my opinion, offensively than the team in 2017 that won it all. So the goal and the window is wide open to win a World Series in Houston again, win the second World Series. So they need another starting pitcher. They need another third solid guy. Right now they have two solid guys. They have Garrett Cole, who I'll talk about later, and obviously the GOAT, in my opinion, one of the GOATs, Justin Verlander. So they need another guy. Noah Syndergaard may be that guy. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, I haven't heard much of him. I would love to have him. Uh, but I'm throwing out Noah Syndergaard and a, a name that's not as attractive. Robbie Ray from the Arizona Diamondbacks has another name that's been thrown around. So you might want to look at Robbie Ray or Noah Syndergaard and kind of study their numbers and see their style. Robbie Ray may be more realistic. You probably wouldn't have to give up, give up as much to get him. But if you're going to get after Noah Syndergaard or Madison Baumgartner, then you're obviously going to have to give up a lot. But if you get either one of those guys, I don't know about Robbie Ray. I don't know if Robbie Ray does it. But if the Astros were to get Syndergaard or Baumgartner, they would be World Series favorites, point blank. I mean, I already think they're close right now. The Yankees are just tearing it up. I think the way that everyone's talking about the Yankees, they're probably the World Series favorite as of right now at least to the team that make the World Series in the AL. And then the NL, I still like the Brewers and teams like that. The Dodgers are all the Dodgers are always going to be good. But um, for the AL, the Yankees are still in that conversation. So the Astros need to do something dramatic to get back into that conversation. And I think uh, uh, an acquisition like Syndergaard um, or Bumgarner would be great. Robbie Ray would just be kind of a filler guy. But still, they need to do something. It's, something is better than nothing. If all they get is Robbie Ray, I'd be happy because they're be- they're better than they are with if they throw out your Queedy again or Valdez, whoever they throw out. Some of these no-name guys they're bringing up are not consistent enough. So they need something. They need something dramatic to happen. Stephen Guybe he comments and says, "Are the Bears winning the Super Bowl?" Oh, Stephen, I will break down the Bears. But I'm not going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl. Now, could they win the NFC North? Absolutely. In fact, uh, with the way the NFC North is playing out, I don't really have a lot of faith in the Vikings. I don't know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is in decline. I don't really know how good the Packers are going to be. And the Detroit Lions, we already know they're a joke. They're probably going to finish dead last in that division. So... Um, it's between, I mean, the Vikings, the Packers, and the Bears are the three teams that are really, you can look at and maybe see and not be surprised if those teams win it, that NFC North division. And uh, I guess out of those teams, you do have to say the Bears are the favorite. I mean, they were very close to beating the Eagles last year in the wild card game, probably should have beaten the Eagles, uh, underperformed. A, I think they underplayed a lot. They still have uh, Tariq Cohen. They still have Mitchell Trubisky, who I like. I think he's a... He's a, he's, a, he's a ballsy guy. He may not be the best passing quarterback, but the dude is like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type guy. He plays with heart. Um, he'll he'll run if he needs to. He'll he'll do what his team needs to do. He'll he'll do what his team ask of him 
to win the game. And then on the defensive end, you guys still have Khalil Mack. So uh, the Bears are not going to be an easy team to beat. That defense is, is scary good. It goes back to the 1980s Bears, 85 Bears. And, uh, I mean, their defense is for real. Uh, their offense does just enough to win games. So to say they're not going to – to say they're, they shouldn't be in the Super Bowl conversation is, is, is wrong. But do I think they'll win the Super Bowl? No. Um, every year I, I pick another team to win the Super Bowl besides the Patriots, and it doesn't really work out. So until the Patriots lose, like until the Patriots consistently just don't even make the Super Bowl or just don't get very far in the playoff or whatever, like to the Patriots like miss the playoffs one year, then I still have to pick Tom Brady and the Patriots. I mean, those guys are going to continue to win. It's like, you know, it's like to the Warriors. The Warriors finally lost to the Raptors, and it seems like their team, their team is disbanded. I still don't uh, doubt the Warriors will be good. I still think they're going to be a playoff team. But uh, I don't think they're a super, they're going to be like a you know a world championship uh, caliber team next year. But they're still going to be really good. Same thing with the Patriots. They may not be a world caliber team, but they're still going to be really good. And it's going to be really hard to uh, you know with the football what football is with the way it's just one and done, and you have to prepare for a game and uh, just Tom Brady in a one one or done situation, Bill Belichick in a one or done situation. You have to prepare a week to beat Bill Belichick. You have to prepare a week or two weeks to beat Tom Brady. Uh, and they have that same time to prepare for you. Um, I don't care who they have on their team. They're going to figure it out. Um, it's just one of those teams. So I, I, I still have to worry about the Patriots, man. I still have to worry about the Patriots. Could the Bears win the NFC North? Absolutely. And we'll see how far they get with that. I know the Saints, in my opinion, are still going to be good. They're going to be hungry. Uh, there's going to be some good teams in the NFC that are fighting, but as far as the NFC North goes, the Bears will definitely win the NFC North. I think I'm going to put it down right there. Um, there's your little praise for the Bears, Stephen. Uh, Justin Lee goes talks about my team and his team. He says, "Will the Texans ever succeed under Bill O'Brien? Because they are a raging dumpster fire right now. They're not hiring an offensive coordinator, which, in my opinion, is ridiculous too." Um, now, now adding the GM duties on top of it, they're putting all this faith on Bill O'Brien is what he's saying. I think they're lucky if they go 8-8 eight and eight this year, uh, give or take a game. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm saying 9 or 7. If they somehow beat the Saints the way they're designed right now, then I, I could see them going up to like 11-5, and five, maybe 12-4, and four, because if they beat the Saints, that's just going to be a big momentum booster on Monday Night Football. But 8-8 eight and eight, and honestly – Seven and nine, maybe even six and ten, is a really realistic goal. Now, remember, they have uh, not not a goal, but a realistic op- realistic thing that could happen because they have a first place schedule. Remember, they won the AFC South last year, so they're playing all the first place teams in the AFC. So they're playing some really good teams. Let alone Jaguars got better with Nick Foles. Uh, The Colts aren't going anywhere, and the Colts are my favorite to win the division. So the Texans could legitimately miss out on the playoffs and be third place in the AFC South. And I don't say that with, uh, you know, a lot of, like, excitement. I don't want that to be the case. I want my Texans to be good. But out of all my Houston teams, my Houston Texans are the team I have least faith in. So will I go see some games? Yes. Will I get drunk tailgating and party it up and have a lot of faith in them when the season starts? Yes. But right now, in July, if I'm stepping back from my emotional side of things, because you guys know I get emotional, uh, 
a little bit. I'm stepping back. I'm taking my, the curtains off, and I'm saying, hey, I don't know if the Texans can do this this year. I don't know if they may be an 8-8 eight eight team. They may be a 6-10 and 10 team, a 7-9, and nine, something like that. I'm going 9-7. and seven. I'm being optimistic. I'm, I'm still banking a lot on that first game. If they lose that first game, then it, it proves my point that they're not really a contender. Um, and if they win that first game, then maybe they can battle with the big boys. But they're, they never show up in big games. Uh, Bill O'Brien is a big reason for that. And if you're talking about preparing for a game, Bill O'Brien going into Monday Night Football, the first Monday Night Football game of the season, of the regular season, and he's going up against Sean Payton, and you have to prepare a game plan in New Orleans where it's going to be rowdy as ever. Everyone knows New Orleans, the Superdome, is rowdy. Probably the loudest stadium in the NFL because it is an indoor stadium. And, the, and it's just a party in there. It's so, so loud in there. NRG tries to copy that with their enclosed stadium, but I don't think it, it comes close to how loud the New Orleans Saints fans are when they're all in that little dome and it's just yelling down. So, yeah, it's going to be a difficult game. It's going to be a difficult season for the Texans is what it's looking like. Uh, Joe Mays, my buddy from Domino's, he says, Will WWE ever become what it was in the early 2000s? I think that's a realistic goal. I think the early 2000s was like the ruthless aggression era. You had uh, Kurt Angle, John Cena, Brock Lesnar. You know, you had some guys. Batista, Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton was coming in. You had some guys that were really good. And I think this roster is really good. I think the roster can be... And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be more of an edgier thing, an edgier product. They're never going to be back to the Attitude Era where it was pretty much just like rated R. They do whatever they want. A Stone Cold comes in there, chugs beers, flips people off. It's never going to be that. But uh, it could be early 2000s, which was a kind of an era that was kind of sort of the digression from the Attitude. They, didn't, they couldn't just go straight from Attitude to PG era. They had this era... Um, in the early 2000s that was called the Ruthless, Ruthless Aggression Era, led by John Cena, that was still kind of a sketchy era. It was still kind of an edgy kind of era of wrestling, but it wasn't as quite... It's the era I grew up. I grew up remembering the Ruthless Aggression Era. That's where I grew up. People my age grew up in that era. Um, it will never be like in the 1990s where it was the Attitude Era and they were doing the Monday Night Wars. But after they won the Monday Night Wars... They had, to, they had to transition into another era, and they couldn't just go straight from the edginess to being like a PG, just a happy, friendly era like they are now. So they had to have a, uh, you know, like a change of pace era. And that's what Fox wants. Fox is taking SmackDown in October, I think, October or November, and they want to see more of an edgy era. Uh, they also want Brock Lesnar to be a bigger part of the product, which is what we're seeing, and I'm actually a huge Brock Lesnar fan. A lot of people don't like me for that, but I am. I think he brings an edge to the product. He's a guy that can rip your throat off, and you don't really second-guess it because he was in the UFC. It brings a realness to wrestling that, you know, some people don't care about. Um, I kind of like the fact that I see a guy that's big and strong and that when when he's beating somebody up in the ring, I actually believe he's beating somebody up. Like, it actually makes sense that this guy can beat that guy up. Uh, in the PG era, it got to where, like, how is this happening? Like, there's no way Big Show actually felt that. Or, you know, 
why did Mark Henry fall down like that? There's no way a little dude like that could do that to him. Like, you didn't believe a lot of the things. Even when you were trying to just enjoy it, you still couldn't get past the fact that it looks so fake. Now there's some realness to it. There's some edginess to it. They're starting to get back to that. So, yes, Joe, I think with Paul Heyman, with, uh, with, uh, with Eric Bischoff, they can get back to the early 2000s. They're never going to get back to the Attitude Era, though. It's just never going to be that way because of how this society is. You know how society is right now with uh, the political correctness and all that. They're just never going to be back to where they were, but that's fine. They can get close to it, though. Bailey McKinney, who's a Red Sox fan, said, Are the Red Sox going to figure out how to win and make it to the playoffs? Answer, yes, they are. Yeah, I think the Red Sox will make the playoffs. I don't I don't think uh, that's far-fetched. Now, see, I'm not, I'm not really... Uh, I'm not really a Red Sox fan. I don't really care for the Red Sox. I'm actually kind of anti-Red Sox, as you know, Bailey, because I'm an Astros fan, and they and they actually have problems uh, with the Red Sox. And obviously last year the Red Sox knocked, knocked them out. But as you look at the standings right now, and I'm scrolling back up, in the AL East, they are 10 games back of the Yankees for first place in the AL East. But if you look at where they are in the wild card hunt, they're not that far out of wild card. So you look at all the second place teams. The Rays have 57 wins. The Indians have 58 wins. And the Athletics have 57 wins. And, uh, you know, two teams make the wild card, the wild card game. And the Red Sox are sitting right at 55 wins. So they're only. You know, two games, really two games out of the second wild card spot. So they're not that far out of wild card. Wild card is a legit possibility for them. And so um, you're looking at that and you're saying, "Wow, this is not, this is not a, uh, this is not a stretch for the Red Sox to make the playoffs." Are they winning the division? No. Could they make the playoffs? Absolutely. I think the Rays are going to fall off. Um, the Indians may not fall off. The Indians might take first place from the Twins. Um, but uh, the Rays will definitely fall off, and that will leave an opening. And I don't. And I think the Athletics are going to get bumped back some games too here because they're playing the Astros right now. So um, the opportunity for the Red Sox to make the playoffs is there. Will they repeat as champions? No. That's going to come down to the Astros or Yankees in the American League. Sorry. If the Red Sox do get to the playoffs in the wild card spot, they're going to get beat either in the wild card game or they're going to get beat in the first round, the the, uh, the divisional round. So, sorry, they're not going to make it as far as they were last year. They're still kind of hung. I think they're still kind of hung over from the World Series. They get to the playoffs. That's a big achievement for them. But they ain't getting very far. Don't get your hopes up there, uh, Mr. McKinney. Now, Ty Cunningham, a buddy from Arkansas, who's pretty much like family. He is family. I mean, uh, he, he, he asked, he's a big NBA guy, and he's asking me, can Kyrie Irving carry the Nets to a winning season with Kevin Durant on the bench the majority of next season? Yes, I think Kyrie Irving can do that. I think DeAndre Jordan's still there. I think that team's pretty good. I think they can still have a winning season. They can still make the playoffs. Will they get out of the first round? I don't think they will. First round, second round max. They won't get very far in the playoffs. But can Kyrie Irving carry a team to the playoffs? Yes, he can. Can Kyrie Irving uh, 
win, go far in the playoffs, that's yet to be determined. We know he had help from LeBron James. Kyrie Irving being the number one guy should scare you and come playoff time. But as far as getting to the playoffs, we've seen that happen. That happened last year. I mean, so it's not the it's not going to be like they're not they're not going to be good. They're going to be a good solid regular season team. Um, they ain't getting very far once they get there. Are the Mets secretly your favorite team? Asked Garrett Miller, a buddy I went to Kerrville Tyvee with and played football with, and he is now uh, you know he is now in Austin becoming a police officer already a police officer. So congrats to him. I know he's following his dream there. Uh, back to blue, but uh, anyway, he asked, "Are the Mets secretly your favorite team?" And uh, I have to be honest with you, my, they are my National League team. I've always liked the Mets. Um, I laughed at his comment, but they are my National League team. But are they my favorite team? Hell no. You know I'm Houston all the way. Why would you even ask that? It's not a secret that I'm a Houston fan. Um, but as far as NL team, now that they're now that they're the only NL team I really like. Yeah, I, I like the Mets. I was a the story with me and the Mets is um, I, when I grew up and I played little league baseball, I was on the Mets. Everybody wanted to be on the Yankees. They were the good team in little league. But uh, my dad was coaching, and uh, he said, "Well, I said we should just be the Mets. You know, they're the opposite of the Yankees. They're another team in New York. Honestly, I didn't know New York had another team at the time. But when I figured that out, I'm like, okay, well, they're the Yankees. They're a New York team." Well, let's be the Mets. And we sucked that year, by the way. We only won, like, one game. But it was fun to be the Mets. It was fun to chase that dream. And maybe that's why I'm a little partial to the Mets in the National League because that was my Little League team growing up. Um, you know, the little – I mean, I, I played on a lot of different teams in Little League, but that was the t- team I remember because that was the team my dad was the head coach of. Um, you know, so I remember all of that. And it was just a fun year. Um we didn't win very many games, but we had some funny guys on the team. It was pretty much all my buddies, really. So um, it wasn't like we were very good, but we had some, you know, guys that gone on to do great things now that I look back on it. Um, so, um, yeah, it was it was a fun team. There were some guys on that team that are not, not athletes uh, at the moment. They The team started, but they, were, they, they grew in to be athletes. So if we did that team now, well, obviously not now because I'm out of shape, but – if we did that team later on, we would have been pretty good. But at the time, we were just underdeveloped and not very good athletes. So it was pretty bad. But we were the Mets that year. So the Mets do hold a special place in my heart. And then Reed Graff, who's obviously a huge Astros fan, and interviewed him before. Y'all, you guys remember Reed. Why are the Rangers 13 games back? Well, now they're 14 games back, Reed. And why did they get swept by Houston? Because they suck. They're back to 500. They're 50 and 50. They're out of the wild card race now. And you know what it was? It was the they got really cocky in Arlington. They split the series in Arlington. They thought they were hot shit. But then, you know, a couple games go by. They come down to Houston. And let me tell you about Houston and Minute Maid Park. Things are a little bit different in Minute Maid Park than they are in Arlington. They came in. They got a rude awakening. The Astros pretty much mopped the floor with them in all three games. I think one game was close, but most of the games weren't. And, uh, yeah, it was a three-game sweep that really set them back. And now they're 14 games back of the Astros. And they're, you know, like seven, eight games back of wild card spot. So um, they're not looking very good right now. You know, I know I talked to Brendan. I talked to Brendan about it. 
and uh, when he was on the podcast, the huge Dallas sports fan that was on last podcast, um, episode 16, if you guys want to check that out, about 32 minutes in, I talk all things Dallas. So if you're tired of me trashing Dallas, um, you can go listen to that. But now that he's not on here, I can trash Dallas all I want. And Reed just brought up a question. I had to answer it. I had to, had to be honest with him. And that's my honesty, and that's my opinion, is that they just suck. They're just not good. And uh, his confidence level was low. In, Brendan's confidence level was low in them. I just wanted to kind of gauge it where it was. And he didn't take the bait. I was hoping he would say, oh, I'm 100% on the Rangers, so that way I could turn around and look back on him. <coughs> so that way I could turn around and look back on him and kind of say, well, listen, they're not that good. And this proves it now. The series proves it in Houston. They got swept. So yeah, they're 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 just not good, Bree. They're not they're not where they need to be. Offensively, I think they're great. Defensively, uh, no, offensively, I think they're I think they can hit the ball. They're good. Um, pitching wise, eh, they have a lot to worry about. I mean, Mike Miner is their number one guy. He was pretty good against Verlander, but he wasn't great against Verlander. Um, and, uh, you know, he's their number one guy. And then after that, it really falls off for them. So, And their bullpen really doesn't have much to be scared of either. So um, they have problems. They, they definitely have problems. They came to Minute Maid and they were kind of exposed a little bit in that three-game series. Now this is a long one, but I'm not going to answer all these. So Adam Smith, Adam J. Smith, he's a buddy, he's a buddy of mine too I went to Texas State with. A very good news guy, always up to date with politics and things like that because that's kind of his passion more than mine. I, 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 I follow politics a little bit, mainly just to poke fun at things, but uh, he, ha- he asked me a lot of uh, political questions, and then he gets to one, and I said I was only going to answer the easiest one, so this kind of goes into Lion King, which I just saw. He says, Disney makes billions of dollars every year, so why can't they train real lions to star in their films? He squeezes that one in there. I think he just throws me a bone there because the rest of the questions are about Arabs and uh, different tribes and stuff like that and the Iran global markets and shit I don't really know about. But uh, then he asked me about Disney and lions, and I'm like, okay, I can figure that one out. So Disney... Made a new movie, not didn't make a new movie. They remade Lion King, and they're doing this with all their movies now. Aladdin, Little Mermaid. I guess you guys know about the Little Mermaid crisis. But uh, speaking of Lion King, the movie just came out, and uh, me and my brother went to see it, and it was a good movie. Um, but it got me thinking: if it's a live-action movie, shouldn't there be real lions? I mean, it was still animated. I mean, listen, if you're going to animate it, animate it like it was in the... Make it to where it was CGI, but it looked more like it did in the original Lion King. If you're trying to remake Lion King, you could have done a lot better animation. You could have made it more... Feel, you could have made it feel more like it was in Lion King. And so, um, the original Lion King, that is, and they didn't do that. And they didn't use real lions. They were somewhere in between. They tried to make it into like a Discovery Channel movie. Which, which wasn't what Lion King was. I mean, it's talking lions. I want it to be. I want Simba to have those big eyes. I want Rafiki or Ratiki or whatever his name is to, 
to have those big eyes where you can see and those anim- those kind of animated. And Scar did not look like Scar off the movie. He looked like just another everyday lion. So it didn't really stand out to him. Because, you know, when you see Scar, he's got that kind of darker fur, that that uh you know that dark mane around him and he has that certain evil kind of conniving look about him this scar didn't really have that they went for a more of a realistic looking uh, lion i guess but if you're gonna do that don't half-ass it go all the way in go all the way in use real lions have them fight each other have the hyenas jump on the lions and scratch them and to see blood and flesh and gore. If you're going to see a real nature movie, that's what I want to see. Don't either go full in one direction or full in other. They were kind of dancing in the middle. Uh, Pumbaa looked weird. Uh, you know, the lions didn't exactly look like the lions are Amika. Rafiki or Ritiki or whatever his name is, the monkey, didn't have very many lines at all. In the first film, I mean, in the real Lion King, he had a lot of lines. Um, they really shortened... Uh, Scar's solo, Be Prepared, that one where he's singing to the Hyenas, they didn't really go into that, and that was like one of his, that's like one of the best scenes in the movie, is because you really get to know Scar when he's talking about, uh, you know, what his brother's done to him, and how his brother's time is up, and, you know, you, 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 you do feel for Scar a little more now that I'm older, I understand where Scar is coming from, because he's always got this big brother he has to look up to. And he's strong, and Mufasa's like a badass man. He got all the ladies. Um, he just he just kind of did what he wanted to do. He he had the strut. He was the big jock. And Scar was like the little nerdy guy that got picked on that had all these crazy ideas for the kingdom. Um, but but you know he was never actually going to be a king because he just wasn't fit to be a king. And he was an evil guy. And he always was talking about what he can take. And Mufasa was talking about what he can give. So it was two different ways of looking at life. Um, I like Mufasa. I liked his way of life. I liked that he was a giver. I thought that was cool. Um, but I also felt for Scar. I understood where he was coming from. He was being overlooked by his brother all the time. Pretty much almost like nobody in the no one in Pride Rock or the, that area liked him. Um, they just kind of shunned him. He, he didn't get any ladies. He was basically just, he had no ladies, so he couldn't get them. So it was kind of sad there. And, uh, yeah, so, the, you know, nobody looked right. They could have used real lions. would have really hit home for me if they used real lions and trained them. Because we know Disney has the money. I didn't look at Disney's budget, but I feel like they make pretty good money. So, um, you know, a lot more than me. And I could have figured it out. So... I think they need to they need to get their heads on straight. I'm not answering any of the Iran questions. Sorry, Adam. But uh, yeah, that was his questions for Facebook. I got a few more questions for Twitter before I uh, move on to what I want to talk about. But we really buzzed along here. Man, it went pretty. Uh, it went pretty crazy. Here's some of my here's some of my questions from Twitter. I actually got three from Twitter. Oh no no no! I got I got four from Twitter. Wow! I actually got more than I thought. Um, but uh, my first question is uh, from Mark. He says, "You gonna eat your cornbread? Uh, no, you can have it." And then the other question uh, from Mark, the real question I'll answer is: Texans training camp expectations. Um, I already kind of answered. The Texans are dumpster fire right now 
Um, and then he said Stephen A. Smith placing Harden and Westbrook last in his top five duo list. And then so it got me thinking, so I decided to look at the list and see who was re- placed in front. And I took a snapshot of the picture right here. So he has LeBron and AD one. Steph and Clay two. I have no problem with either of those being one and two. Uh, Kawhi and PG-13, three. Um, I don't know how good that duo is going to be. Uh, Katie and Kyrie, I don't know how good that duo is going to be. And Harden and Westbrook, we've, we've already seen that duo. We know they are NBA Finals caliber uh, when they play together. They've made the NBA Finals before. Of course, Kevin Durant was added to that, but we've seen that work. We've seen Kyrie and LeBron work. We haven't seen Kyrie and KD work. And, Ky- and KD may not be the same player when he... An Achilles, a torn Achilles is no joke. We don't know what KD's going to be. He's still going to be a, like almost seven-footer that can shoot threes. I get that. But is he going to be able to drive? Is he going to be able to attack the paint? Is he going to be able to set up the offense like he used to? I don't think he can. Um, so we have to wait and see. I mean, KD's going to be gone all of next year, so we don't really know how Kyrie and KD are going to play together. I think Kyrie and KD, uh, it's interesting pairing. Obviously, KD's a really good player, probably the best player on the planet. But right now, since he's hurt, you have to give that kind of title to Kawhi. So, uh, Kawhi or LeBron. So, um, KD and Kyrie being placed in front of me, in front of Harden and Westbrook, um, I don't really know if that's fair. I don't really know if that's fair. Um, you look at Kawhi and PG-13, again, PG-13, Paul George has never really impressed me. He's never really been in the MVP conversation until like last year, I think. Last season he was kind of in it, but all before that he never really was in it. He had some really good teams in Indiana, I thought, that he could just never get it figured out and they could never get over the hump of uh, of beating that Miami team. So, um, And they had some games where they could. They got some really close series. So PG-13... You know, obviously he's he's a good being he's good, I think, when he's a number two guy. And Kawhi Leonard obviously by himself is a threat. We've seen Kawhi do things by himself that's just crazy. So maybe the fact that Kawhi is so good makes up for PG thirteen. PG thirteen is basically a glorified three and D guy. I mean that's what he is. He shoots threes and he can play defense. Kawhi does a little bit of everything. Um Kawhi can do it all. I mean, Kawhi is the, is the one of the best players on the planet. I, I rank him in the MVP conversation, obviously. Um, Steph and Clay, you got to give them the nod because they're multiple-time champions. And when Clay gets back, they're going to be really good again. So the Splash Brothers doesn't surprise me. LeBron and AD, obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has kind of been in the MVP conversation every now and then. But... Um, you know, when he's healthy, he's one of the best players in the league, so it's not really a concern to me. If you don't put LeBron first, then Stephen A. Smith is going to get yelled at by somebody, so he kind of had to put LeBron first. That didn't surprise me. Stephen Clay didn't surprise me. But the other two duos, KD and Kyrie, we don't know how good KD is going to be when he comes back from injury. And PG-13, to me, doesn't really – like I don't really put him – I put him maybe on the same level as Westbrook. Uh, maybe Kate, maybe Kyrie, but uh, the rest of the guys I think are better than PG thirteen in my opinion. So I just never really thought Paul George was like that type of player that just you give you give him the ball, um, he's just great player, consistently great. Um, 
I just don't know. I mean, he's had his chances with multiple teams, could never really figure it out. I mean, when the first first round of the playoffs came around the last two years, and he looked really good in the regular season, but he couldn't do it in the playoffs. And no, I mean, I don't know if that's just because he's playing with Westbrook or what it is, but, I mean, even Harden figured it out with Westbrook. Kevin Durant figured it out with Westbrook. I mean, they're good, good, good players. Couldn't figure it out with anybody. So Paul George, for him to go to him to partner up with Kawhi, we'll see how it works. He is gonna have to just be a spot up. He's gonna have to take a Danny Green role and just be like a Danny Green type player for Kawhi, like a more advanced Danny Green. He's gonna have to be a spot up guy in the corner when Kawhi is getting double team or triple team. Uh, then then Paul PG thirteen is gonna have to hit those open shots. But if you want a guy to take, like if you want a guy to kind of uh, dominate a game or dominate a series. I just don't think Paul George is that guy. I really don't. I think he's a team player. Um, he fits in nicely with Kawhi, I guess. But he he's I, I, to say he's better than Harden and Westbrook, who have already proven they can do it on the on a big level. Um, it's kind of surprising to me. They've already kind of done it together. I mean, they're buddies. They've been buddies growing up their their whole life. They've been buddies since they were like ten or eleven years old. So from a chemistry standpoint. Harden and Westbrook got to be the best on the list, don't you think? I mean, from a chemistry standpoint, Harden and Westbrook have to be number one. But uh, from just an overall talent standpoint and just who's the best, I'm fine with KD. I'm fine with AD and LeBron. I'm fine with Steph and Clay. But after that, Kawhi and PG-13, I don't know. Um, Kawhi is just that good. But but PG-13 kind of makes it fall off a little bit. And then KD and Kyrie, we don't know how good KD is going to be with the injuries. So, for Harden and Westbrook to be behind, they should be third on the list. They're, they're fifth. I think they should be third. But that's just my opinion, obviously. Um, so, we're going back to the questions now. And uh, Deshaun Hartley says, early Super Bowl predictions. I kind of hinted at it, but I do think the Patriots go back to the Super Bowl on the AFC. I don't see a team... Really, that I'm 100% can knock them off. Maybe the Chiefs. Um, he wants me to do talk about that. Or I could talk about the Tyreek Hill uh, non-suspension. Um, I guess I'd rather talk about the uh, Super Bowl predictions. because, And when it comes to the NFL and suspensions, I have no idea what, what is what. I don't know what qualifies as a suspension. And I really... I mean, there's a double standard, isn't there? I mean... Uh, you know, if you're smoking weed, you're out of the league. But if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're hitting women or hitting kids, welcome back, welcome back. So, Roger Goodell is stupid, and I've hated Roger Goodell for a long time, and I don't really know what he's trying, what president he's trying to set. He is ticking a lot of people off. No matter what side of the fence you're on, you hate Roger Goodell. If you're a conservative, you hate him for certain reasons, like you know domestic abuse. Like, come on, do something about that. If you're a, if you're a liberal, you hate him because of how he treated Kaepernick and the owners have kind of teamed up against Kaepernick. So, um, yeah, there's just everybody kind of hates him. So there's really no there's no there's no uh, there's no not a lot of praise going Roger Goodell's way. Whether you're Dave Portnoy of Bar- Barstool Sports or you're uh, Dan Lebertard from ESPN. All those guys have talked shit on, uh, and both those guys are very different political views on things. And both those guys have talked a lot of shit on Roger Goodell. One one thinks Roger Goodell is just an overbearing tyrant that just kind of has his way with everybody, like just kind of uh, just has it out for certain groups and just 
is a t- just throws his wheel around, and the other just thinks the NFL is a joke when it comes to rules and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's just not there's no there's no right answer for Roger Goodell. He just doesn't he doesn't really bring confidence to people. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the Tyreek suspension I talked about more than the uh, Super Bowl predictions because I don't really. Um, I'll I'll go Saints and Chiefs. How about that, Deshaun? Saints and Chiefs. There you go. I I, I have my Super Bowl predictions there. Um, I think Patrick Mahomes versus Drew Brees would be a Texas showdown. That'd be kind of cool to see both those Texas boys meet up. So Saints and Chiefs. You, you heard it here first. Uh, Lucas Haskins asks. He works for Texas State. He says. What's the best part of the 100-plus Texas State events getting broadcast on ESPN Plus next year? Well, I'm excited to see the football games, and I'm excited to um, see the basketball games. But most importantly, I'm just excited that I'm going to be able to watch Texas State events and not and not have to worry about actually going to the games because I live in Houston now. I've graduated. I'm in the Houston area, you know, doing my thing. Uh, trying to make it in this market, and it's a really competitive market, and I'm kind of covering U of H now. I'm a University of Houston Cougar fan now, but I'll always have a special place in my heart for my alma mater, Texas State University, and I love that I can actually go back and watch those games. So that'll be cool to see. And then uh, Jude McLaren, a guy I went to uh, a class with at Texas State, and then also he um, he works at KTSW. He asked me a U of, a U of H question, which I appreciate. He says, what will be U of H's biggest challenge this upcoming college football season? And in short, Jude, I'm going to say defense. I think defense will be their biggest challenge. Uh, they're going to have a good offense. Dana Holgerson was the coach of West Virginia. He's a Big 12 guy. He's going to be able to score points. But West Virginia did not have a great defensive team. Um, you know, Big 12, the joke is those those teams don't care about defense. They just care about scoring more points. And that's kind of true with Dana Holgerson, who is now the coach of the Cougars. Um, De'Eric King is going to be probably the best quarterback in the American Conference. I'll go ahead and pencil that in right now. He's a dual threat. He's a guy who can run. He's a guy who can pass. He has everything you want as a college quarterback. So he is going to put up major numbers with Dana Holgerson at University of Houston. Their offense is going to be just fine in the American Conference. Um, another weakness I'll throw in, though, besides defense, because they lost Ed Oliver, who got drafted uh, by the Buffalo Bills. He was their kind of their anchor on that defensive line. So, really, I don't think they're going to have much of a pass rush. I don't know a lot about their secondary. But defense, to me, Jude, is going to be their biggest problem. But another thing is strength of schedule. Because they're in the American Conference if they even if they win mo- almost all their games, or you know just about say they lose maybe one game, but they win the rest, they win a lot of their conference games. They're still going to get overlooked by the top twenty-five power rankings because of their American conference and how weak their conference is. Now, uh, when Houston was dominating teams and they were ranked third overall, and they had uh, you know Tom Herman um, as their head coach, they were beating. Their schedule was a lot better back then. But now their schedule is very, very weak. Um, They have one big game against Oklahoma. Their conference, the American Conference, in my opinion, is is a decent conference. They still have UCF. They have some good teams. But uh, overall, they're going to get overlooked because they're not a Power 5 team. And uh, that's just the thing. I mean, UCF, they literally, they win every game that's put in front of them just about. 
and they get overlooked every year. So why is Houston going to be different? So the biggest weakness, first of all, on the field is going to be defense because they lost Ed Oliver, and Dana Holgerson is coming from West Virginia, who's not really a defensive powerhouse uh, conference or whatever. And then you also have another weakness being uh, the strength of schedule. It's just they're going to get overlooked because they're in the American Conference. That's just how it is. If Texas State started winning every game in the Sun Belt, they would get overlooked too because, uh, yeah, because nobody cares about Sun Belt. Nobody cares about the Sun Belt Conference. Nobody really cares about the American Conference. And I'm part of the problem. If you're not a Power 5 team, I mean, eh, is, it, is it really that? Is it really worth watching? Is it really worth, you know, whatever. But shout out to Garrett Cole. He gets 200 strikeouts for his second season. First Astro to do that since Daryl Kyle in 1996-97. I was born in 96, so that should tell you something there. Um, Spurs announced Will Hardy and Tim Duncan as assistant coaches. Don't know much about Tim Duncan, but Will Hardy is a solid coach. He's going to do a great job. Um, Tim Duncan, not sure who that is. Um, LSU football is having some some uh, really good renovations. Their locker room looks great now. They have sleeping pods. LSU library, not so much. Stick to sports, LSU. Who cares about the library? Listen, library doesn't bring in shit. It's all about football. It's all about athletes. It's all about who can be the buffest guy. Listen, I watched Lion King. Knowledge doesn't get you anywhere. Scar was the smartest character in the whole, uh, the whole, you know, he was planning, he was conniving, he was the smartest character in the whole movie, and he was a bad guy. So take it from, take it from Lion King. It's all about, it's all about bronze, it's all about strength. Nobody cares about your brains anymore. It's all about how you look. It's all about how strong you are if you can throw your weight around. So football over library, that's an easy one. Kids are in helling Freon now, so watch out for that. You know, it's hot outside. Maybe they thought they would uh, cool down with some Freon. Don't do this at kids' home. You could, you could die. Kids are literally in helling Freon. And my last thing I want to leave it with is uh, Scarlett Johansson responds to whitewashing backlash by saying she should be allowed to play any person as an actress. I don't care what Scarlett Han- Johansson does. Um, whitewashing or not, she can whitewash me any day. I'd love to be whitewashed by Scarlett Johansson. I think it would be cool. Um, I don't know why people are complaining. It seems like a legit thing. Um, I'm down for it. Uh, do what you want, babe. Uh, see you.